Welcome back, Psychonauts. So we left off kind of going over, you know, James Marsh's view on identity crisis and just, or I'm sorry, on identity um, in an adolescence and kind of coming from this idea that we need to find our identity. And I said we were going to be picking up with our social learning view, and that's exactly where we are. So human development in Albert Bandura's view um, is a continuous one. And he says that, look, our, our progress is going to be made by interacting with other people. And he says, look, we are observing other people, we're modeling our behavior on them, and we have, you know, there's emotional reactions um, to how we interact with everything. And, you know, we, a bit, we adjust our behavior based on the feedback that we get. So it's just kind of um, adolescents, they interact with a lot of people, and then they adjust based on how these people interact with them and so forth. So anyhow, what I want you to get out of this is personality development is um, an adolescence um, phenomenon. I mean, overall, but it's big time in adolescence and it's big time complex. And it involves not only how a person develops a sense of self, but uh, their identity and how um, other you know people they relate with and relationships and just social interactions in, in general. There's not one theory that can do justice to all of this, but it's just a huge long process of interacting with others. And so different roles change during adolescence, the role the family plays, for instance. So parents generally um, build their life around their family. And sometimes they become reluctant to let go of their family or their children in general. And this is an emotional dependence. So parents sometimes wrestle with their own issues of getting older and they the fears that come with it. So they don't want their kids to move out because that's reality for them. And it's also they're worried about their kids and not being able to cope with some of the more difficult situations that arise from these realities. Now, kids at the same time are worried about failing, but they really want to get out on their own. And so the family is playing this role. Well, there's also another big group that is in adolescence lives that maybe weren't as big before, and that's peer groups. They're friends. And they like these peer groups because they their peers do not treat them as children. And you know, during adolescence, the big area you find these are in schools, and you start to see these different groups defined as a hierarchy. And it's these different groups, and you can tell who belongs and who doesn't belong. And early on, it's usually divided by um, by the by genders and sex and so forth. But later on, it does change, and they intermingle more. And it's kind of interesting to see, you know, what groups are accepting of different people and how they accept the different groups and so forth. And a lot of it has to do with personality characteristics. These are very, uh, very important when it comes to like popularity, which is based on personality, but also on good looks. And it seems that both, um, you know, both the sexes they really value um, uh, athletic ability when figuring out these different groups. So it doesn't doesn't even matter. Just everyone values athletic ability, which I thought was interesting. So those are the kind of the big groups, these hierarchies. But then we see smaller groups, these cliques. And a clique is a small exclusive group within a larger group. And these are very important to uh, adolescents. They serve a lot of functions as far as like acceptance and listening to one another and so forth. And you start to see these cliques where people imitate one another's clothing, speech, hairstyles, and so forth. Now, this also has some drawbacks like conformity. So, and that's acting in accordance with some specified authority. Now, if you get 
group pressure to conform. This sometimes leads young people to do more serious things that you know run contrary to maybe their better judgment, which we've already said has you know is an issue during this time. And moving on here with uh, you know how different teens are reacting and stuff, there's also this conformity that comes along with stereotypes. So one of the things we're going to talk about here is gender stereotypes. And these are oversimplified or prejudiced opinions and attitudes about how men and women should behave and act. And media and advertising push a lot of these stereotypes uh, heavily on children and shape their ideas of male and female. Now, our stereotypes are generally rooted somewhere, and it gen generally tends to be in our cultural past. Now, the idea of what it means to be a man or woman is constantly changing, and it's changing a lot with technology, with medical uh, understanding, birth control, and it's redefining gender roles. So this is constantly in flux. And this kind of combats against our uh, gender schemas, and these are our mental representations of behaviors um, of, of how different genders uh, act. And, you know, it's how a child early on kind of organizes and categorizes behavior, and this is changing as well as our, you know, beliefs in gender change, um, you know, our stereotypes change as things move forward. So, um, I'm going to go in this next area talking about the difference um, in sexes. Uh, besides just the kind of physical. Now, I'm going to say this, this is goes, goes into a lot of studies, so take this for what it's worth, but, you know, kind of as studies put it, males tend to be more confident. So, and this tend to be in areas such as, um, you know, just different tasks that are stereotyped as being masculine, math and science. Now, I know, I'm sorry, ladies, that, you know, math and science is stereotyped as men, but, it's stereotype. That doesn't mean it's true. Make your own decisions kind of life. So now here's the kind of interesting with these stereotyped masculine math and science. Even when females receive the same grades as men in these subject areas, a lot of women see themselves as less competent. Now that's once again coming from that stereotype. We're going to explore this more in some more studies as I go on, so stick with me here. Um, Self-confidence in females tends to rise when they receive clear and direct feedback. Now, uh, females also engage in more verbal aggressive acts while males participate in more physical aggression. So kind of interesting differences between, now that's not always the case, but you know, that's you know, a lot of studies show this however you want to view it. Now, we can also see this with children at play, so even younger children. Boys tend to do more mock fighting, rough housing. Girls tend to use more indirect forms of aggression. Society encourages boys to be more competitive, so it kind of goes along with this, and settle conflicts through aggression. And um, during this time, men have lower levels of the neurotransmitter serotonin, which we mentioned earlier, than women. So low levels have been associated with higher levels of aggression. So maybe there's some brain chemistry part of it. So now, although society does say women are more talkative in, um, you know, in general, and that's kind of a societal stereotype, studies actually kind of say the opposite, that men actually interrupt women more while they are talking, and women talk more when they have more power in a relationship. And females are more likely to use hedges in speech than men, like kind of or you know, uh, women also use more disclaimers, such as, I may be wrong, or I'm not sure. 
Um, and finally, women use more taglines in questions like, uh, okay, kind of thing. So, um, like I said, just kind of interesting. There's a lot of perspectives on why there are these gender differences. So, biological uh, theories emphasize the role of anatomy and hormones and um, brain organizing and different neurotransmitter levels in boys versus girls kind of thing. Now, there's a psychoanalytical theory. And that's our buddy Sigmund Freud, that, and he says that when a child identifies with a parent um, of the same sex, gender identity also results. And that's your psychoanalytical Freud. And we've talked about Freud before. Um, then there's the social learning theory that emphasizes the role of social and cognitive processes and how we perceive and organize and use information. So, you know, how we are getting information from the world around us and interacting with others and hearing stereotypes and so forth. And then there's finally the cognitive development theory that children acquire gender roles by interacting with their environment and thinking about those interactions. So the, you know, the, the brain development as, in, oh, I'm taking in this information and how does that affect me and so forth. So um, kind of getting back to those differences just a little, you know, then we're going to get into the changing gender roles, but uh, nonverbal communication. Women are more likely to show submission and warmth, whereas men display more dominant status. So, and, and dominance can be expressed by talking up more, uh, sorry, talking up, taking up more space, uh, stretching out your legs. Um, more women than men are sensitive to nonverbals. Um, and just a little fun fact, um, nonverbal communication is roughly 93% of all communication. So, kind of interesting. All right, guys, we are kind of closing up shop here. So uh, changing of gender roles. So roles of women and men in society have changed dramatically, and they are continuing to evolve. So a lot of my information is, you know, constantly in flux. So take it for what it's worth. It's kind of rooted into just the study of how all this works. So most women grew up expecting to marry and quit work and raise children. Okay, that was more of the 50s. By the 80s, this changed with most women working outside the home. By 2010, 72 million women, about 60% of women are working or looking for a job, and this is constantly growing. Um, many people um, are going into college, and we're actually seeing more women um, uh, attaining bachelor's degrees than men, so that's kind of interesting too. But um, just kind of building off of this college, a lot of um, people are attaining college degrees or going out to college, and this is a big step towards separation from their home. It leads to more autonomy than ever before that most of them experience. And, you know, there's a lot of adjustment that goes on. And as a result, many first-year college students feel um, an emotional upheaval, and we call this college shock. And Peter Madison found that many students approach college with high and often unrealistic ex aspirations and expectations, thinking that they'll be physicians and astronomers and explorers and so forth, and then maybe not so much. Uh, just give you a little 20, 2017 data, uh, about 55% of students graduate in around six years. So take that for what it's worth, just some numbers to throw up to you. Uh, or throw at you, throwing up, not so much. Um, so anyhow, <laughs> students encounter a lot of diversity when they enter college, maybe a lot of it that they haven't seen before. Um, and so as a result of all this diversity and you know learning new things and new experiences, they start to abandon deeply held values or give up important friendships as a result. 
Um, sometimes your worldview changes when you meet people from different walks of life or different areas of the world for that matter. And you develop some new relationships, um, some developmental friendships or close relationships between people who force each other to re-examine their basic assumptions on life. Um, so like, you know, just new views and these people help you to push that way. Now, instructors and books can also create this change, but a lot of it is through social interaction. And Many people cope with these changes differently. So, for instance, some people redouble their efforts to succeed in the field that they have chosen from the beginning, and they avoid people in situations that might make them doubt, um, you know, or bring these doubts to the surface. Um, other people avoid conf uh, confronting doubt by throwing away their time, going through the motions, attending college, but just, you know, kind of being there, very detached emotionally. Others may keep their uh, options open until they have enough information to make, you know, um, a final choice. And this they call resynthesis, um, which involves this period of indecision or doubt or anxiety. And they're not quite sure what they want to do yet. And students may try to combine the new and the old, temporarily abandon their original goal, retreat, head in another direction, retreat again finally reorganize their feelings and efforts around an emerging identity that is this new identity of their college identity. I don't know, I'm just kind of making that term up, but you get the idea. And as this goes on, and I'll kind of finish up with maybe some things that happen later on in life because we really do identify um, a lot of who we are and where we're going in this adolescent phase. And when we get older, there's, there's not as much development, or it's, it's different, I should say. But uh, when you get older, um, there's a lot of uh, midlife transitions that accompany, um, you know, uh, usually with men at least, they want to mentor a younger person. We don't see this as much in women, which is kind of another gender difference. And we have this um, generativity, generativity generativity I'm not, it's an Eric Erickson term I'm sorry but it's desire in the middle age to use one's accumulated wisdom to guide future generations and sometimes we see this as a midlife crisis which it's interesting midlife crisis doesn't seem to affect women now the opposite of this generativity I'm sorry g-e-n-e-r-a-t-i-v-i-t-y so um, we see the opposite of that is stagnation. Instead of looking forward, adults may choose to hang on to the past, perhaps taking in part of the same uh, sports and hobbies they did in the youth. Um, and this is that middle adult area, and that's that midlife crisis that I mentioned with extreme frustration and unhappiness. So um, we'll kind of stop there for now, and uh, we'll pick up with our next unit here with our next uh, podcast. So thanks for tuning in, and talk to you soon.